This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Nanu, Nanu, I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his Klingon science officer, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 129 of The Big Picture for the week beginning October 16. And coming up on today's show, we will boldly go where many of you have never gone before, the new Star Trek series, Discovery. And a date night with a difference is coming. It's going to be shared with Kate Winslet and Idris Elba and a plane crash in a disaster movie called The Mountain Between Us. And we'll reveal the ultimate moviegoer survival guide. The ultimate. Ultimate. That's like all caps ultimate, right? Yeah, basically because I'm going to tell people how they should go to the films, you know, according to me. So they can survive. Yeah. You mean like be- a survivor trip with you to the cinema? No, it's how they can get the most out of a cinema. Oh, right, because, yeah, I've, I've survived many of those ordeals. My goodness, they are difficult. So with Mark Hadley <laughs> in the cinema, I look forward to hearing how you tell me how to survive those times. Uh, we're missing Sam Robinson. Uh, he was away on last week's show. He'll be back, though, next week. But what we are not missing out on this week, Mark, is how we all always start the program is we're letting everyone know what's happening at cinemas and on TV at the moment. In cinemas, coming this Thursday, Mark, I know it's a movie that you've been looking forward to for a long time, Geostorm. <laughs> Geostorm, that's a real movie. That sounds like the kind of movie that people make up, you know, in those conversations. I am so not looking forward people, to Yes, this. you are. But, you know, when people are sitting around saying, oh, what's like the weird, the strangest sounding movie I can like, just invent? Geostorm. <laughs> um, this is from Dean Devlin, who the, he's a guy who co-wrote Independence Day. It's his directorial debut and it does seem like every conceivable natural disaster chucked into one movie, something about humans tinkering with um, whether it's all going well until it doesn't. And it's like Day After Tomorrow meets 2012 all chucked into one movie. which With both, the success of both of them, I believe. Well, like both of those movies were directed by Independence Day director Roland Emmerich. It does feel a little bit like we've seen all this before, doesn't it, Mark? And when does it get a little bit insensitive, for want of a better word, to be entertained by natural disasters? Mm. Like, I, I'm a little bit... Bit uncomfortable with that, but maybe I should also be more uncomfortable with the levels of violence and you know marital affairs and drug dealing and all kinds of things that we're entertained by in all kinds of other movies. But Geostorm's coming this Thursday. So too is Thor Ragnarok, ah. which is definitely a movie you are looking forward to seeing. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is back as Thor. Kate Blanchett, talk about Australian links, is the villainess in this film. It was shot in Queensland, or some of it was, and it's directed by New Zealand cool cat Ta- Taika Watiti. I am very much looking forward to seeing what he does with a Marvel movie. Uh, you and I are, are, are going to be among the hordes that are going to the Sydney premiere coming up this week with Chris Hemsworth and the Hulk himself, Mark Ruffalo, and we'll be giving our report on the big picture next week. Indeed we will. And in fact, while we're still thinking about the week to come, this week on the ABC on Tuesday, Catalyst brings us, wait for this, The Gut Revolution. Oh, finally, The Gut Revolution is here. (laughs) A a three-part series. I've been waiting for Geostorm so long, I forgot about The Gut Revolution. Well, there's a three-part series where (laughs) Catalyst takes three Australians on a remarkable six-week intervention to find out what happens to their health when they set out to transform the bacteria living in their gut. So this is like 
super size me, but from inside. Yeah, it's kind of like um, the biggest loser, but from a scientific perspective. Ah, oh, okay, the biggest so bacteria. The big, so anyway, that'll be interesting to see what the ABC does with that particular thing. Maybe not as interesting as this, the Mailwitz stories. The, the what? Can you the, say that again? The Mailwitz stories. Okay, what's that? They're being released on Netflix is what they are. Yes. It's a comedy drama that details the lives of three adult siblings and their strained relationship with their father. Now, this doesn't sound like much until you actually hear who wrote it and who's in it. Tell so us. It is written and directed by Noah Baumbach. You had me at Noah Baumbach. That guy's great. While we were young, the squid and the whale well mystery, etc., etc. Lots of stuff. The film stars Adam Sandler, right. Ben Stiller, yeah. Dustin Hoffman, yeah. Emma Thompson. Awesome. Um, with appearances by Adam Driver, Sigourney Weaver. Oh, great. I know oh, this, and it's. It's comedic, but it's also serious. In fact, actually, Adam Sandler uh, has got lots of critical acclaim for his serious performances. So I'm really looking forward to the Melwitz stories, Netflix. Have a yeah, look at that. Yeah, me too. I'm also looking forward to, uh, actually, no, am I? I still haven't worked it out, actually, whether I'm looking forward to hearing more from you about Star Trek Discovery, which you're about to tell us about very soon. But before we get to that, I believe you have a true or false statement slash conundrum slash teaser to tease us with, Mark. I do. Later in the show, we're going to take a look at the film The Mountain Between. Us, this sort of plane crash survival love story starring Kate Winslet and Idris Elba. Well, one of the curious facts about The Mountain Between Us is that it had to survive a lot more things than a plane crash before it ever got to the big screen. Margot Robbie was actually going to play the lead role, you know, from The Wolf of Wall oh, yeah. Street. Yep. But she signed on to play the lead love interest and then she dropped out and she was replaced by Rosamund Pike, you know, from Gone oh, from Girl. Gone Girl, yes. Yeah, yep. and then she dropped out, Righto. who was finally replaced by Kate Winslet. And the male role went through even worse sort of conundrums before it finally got to Idris Elba. So who was originally going to play the solid, dependable, survival guy, the love interest? You know, the Darcy in the snow. <laughs> the Darcy in the snow. Who was, was going to play Mr. Darcy in the snow? Was it Michael Fassbender, who pulled out because of scheduling conflicts? Was it Tom Cruise, who pulled out because he couldn't get final sign-off on the script? Or was it Tom Hiddleston, who pulled out because of an overcommitment to Marvel's Loki? <laughs> Commitment to Loki. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll find out after this review. We will. Nerds across the planet have been assembling in cargo bays and transporter rooms to await the arrival of the much-anticipated next TV series in Gene Roddenberry's legacy. Yes, from beyond the grave, the creator of Star Trek has delivered... How did he even do that? Has delivered <laughs> a seventh television series, Star Trek Discovery. I don't mean to sound that excited because this is Mark's territory, but... <laughs> Anyway, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to go along with Mark. Instead of launching us even further into the future, though, this Netflix original TV series takes new fans and old into a time when the mighty federation that launched the Starship Enterprise is still quite new and on the verge of all-out war with the Klingon Empire. But First Officer Mark Hadley says it's not all about look, locking on the phases. You will never learn, Vulcan. Your tongue is too human. Great unifiers are few and far between. Often such leaders will need a profound cause. What am I looking at? Object of unknown origin. We've come all this way, Captain. It would be irresponsible to leave whatever that is unknown. I sense the coming of death. I sense it coming now. I've got to say, Star Trek Discovery is a very interesting piece as far as this whole Star Trek canon goes. Uh, it's a prequel to Star Trek, the original series. Do you remember Captain Kirk and Dr. Spock? And yes, I do. Actually, I Dr. remember Spock, those books. 
Yeah, well, there you go. This series is set 10 years before they turn up. So it's, it's like an like, origin story. It is kind of, but it's very much like, you know, you're going to see them at the end of the series, so to speak. Which right, because be that's never been done before. No, okay, Anyway, fine. sorry, please continue. <laughs> sorry, if you're finished paying out this. We'll just <laughs> How dare I? The show centers on the voyages of the Starship Discovery. It's commanded by Captain Gabriel Lorca. Jason Isaacs. You know, oh, I really like Jason Isaacs. He's a great actor. And anyway, He was and, the dad of Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter series. Indeed he was, but he's not the main character. In oh. This is interesting for Star Trek that the captain is not the key character for the first time. The the key character is a Lieutenant Commander Michael Burnham, who is played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who is a woman. You might have picked that up. Um, don't Even though her name is Michael. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Michael is a human being who's been raised by the Vulcan Sarek, the father of Commander Spock, everyone, you know. Right, yeah, I was trying to keep up. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Well, she's the latest in a long line of Star Trek characters trying to personally bridge two competing cultures. She's raised by Vulcans. She is human. Emotional logic, you know, how do the two work together? Um, she's been... She was orphaned when Klingons killed her parents, and now that um, she's uh, arrived as a Federation officer, she's just in time to recognise the rise of the Klingon Empire as we slide into war. It is dark, is basically what it is. Something that is not um, very new territory. Sorry, there's not very uh, regular territory for Star Trek. Um, and that brings me to me, which is I'm not a Trekkie, you know that, Mark. Most people, most people know that. It sounds like there's a fair bit going on with this. But am I even likely to want to try to explore Discovery? Like, isn't this just for Trekkies? Yeah, well, I think we're kind of past the point where Star Trek is just for Trekkies because the production values in this just lift it to the stratosphere. I've got to say, you look like you're watching a film. Okay, every episode is amazing. In fact, what used to pass as movies would now be just bad TV because TV. TV has got so good. Mm, true, is, true. Yeah, it's brilliant sci-fi. And I think on that basis, it recruits a new generation now. Like, I don't feel that um, uh, it's kind of like Star Wars, that it's actually reinventing its own fan base as time goes on. Um, and I think the story is really good because it's got a really strong female character as the lead. And so it's a likable hero in an impossible situation. How are they going to get themselves out? Anyone can watch that. Does it preserve the uh, the usual ye olde Star Trek view of the future, though? No. Uh, oh. we- <laughs> <laughs> okay, then moving on. Well, <laughs> see, normally what happens in the in Star Trek is we're all, we've got this high minded, clean desked, you know, crisp white um, sort of future which we're all striving for. One day we're going to arrive at. This is not clean cut at all. Uh, this is the Federation going into war. This is people making decisions about whether or not they use mass weapons of destruction. This is you know uh, uh, what you're going to do to actually keep you know your dreams alive as opposed to um, just propagating more philosophy throughout the stars. So it sounds like more uh, humans and other sorts of creatures around the galaxy are doing what uh, humans are continuing to do da- today and have been doing through history, which is basically muck things up and fight with each other and do all kinds of terrible things. Into this mix, though, do you get any sense of a kind of creator or ultimate being or someone behind the universe, like God? Like, is there God in outer space? Because I, I know you were telling me about, wasn't there some recent controversy, some ban? Wasn't God being banned from being mentioned indeed, in Star Trek Discovery? Indeed he was. Early in the production, Jason Isaacs, the new captain, was told that under no circumstances was he to mention the word God, even as an expletive, because he did it. He ad-libbed one. Like and using a, it as a swear word? Yeah, well, you know, as, as like... Um, an exclamation. Like yeah, a, yeah, that right, sort of stuff, like okay. an exclamation. And a producer told him jokingly... It 
would have been better if he dropped the F word than used the G word. What? I know. That's because wow. Rodenbury, the original creator, believed that humanity would outgrow concepts of the divine as science took right, hold. Right. But the weird thing is, and I think this is people get this back the front, they think the more they encounter ideas of God, that means the less likely God is, because they can't all be true, of course. But that's the reverse. The truth is, the more you encounter in different cultures, different races, maybe we go out to the stars, different ideas of God, the more we realize that intelligent minds know there is something more than us out there. And I think Star Trek, even though it says, oh, we're a godless universe, is showing time and time again that because people believe in God, it is something that fits very well with an intelligent mind. Star Trek Discovery is available exclusively on Netflix. The first four episodes have been released with a new episode arriving every Monday. Just ask Mark. He doesn't go out at the beginning of the week anymore. <laughs> now, Netflix doesn't provide ratings, but there are some older themes, war, prison, terrorist attacks. So be careful with the age of your kids when, you're, about when your kids are watching. Yeah, I'd say it's basically about the level of Doctor Who. Now, a little earlier, uh, we were talking about trues and falses, about whether or not um, uh, who, in fact, it was it was actually going to be the male role before Idris Elba came into the mountain between uh, the us. Mountain between us. Yep. Now I said it was either going to be Michael Fassbender because he pulled out for scheduling conflicts, Tom Cruise because he couldn't get control of the script, or Tom Hiddleston because he was overcommitted to Loki. The Fassbender. The Fassbender. You're right. It was going to be Michael Yay. Fassbender. And in fact, it actually, I could not find out what his scheduling conflicts were, but I suspect he was just getting ready for X-Men Dark Phoenix, which is coming out soon. And he got his Magneto helmet stuck on his head. And you can't really be a credible survivalist in the snow with a Magneto helmet on your head. Heck no. No. Coming up next, we are going to put you to a musical test before hanging out with the only living boy in New York. Welcome back. Mark's about to bring us up to speed on a new coming-of-age Gen Y movie called The Only Living Boy in New York. It's at cinemas. His review is coming up next. You might already know that The Only Living Boy in New York is a song by Simon and Garfunkel, that defining 1960s folk pop duo that enjoyed the kind of success uh, like Beach Boys and Beatles and Bob Dylan. Like They were a really big deal, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, and their songs have lived on and showed up in all kinds of places, including at the movies. So Mm. for soundtrack this week, Mark, I thought I would turn the turntables on (laughs) you and put you to the audio test. Now, you uh, regular regular listeners listeners of the big picture would know that uh, Mark often puts me to the test in soundtrack. Actually, last week you did it with science fiction themes. I think I did all right. Maybe you batted about half, like 50-50. Go back to the show if you missed it. Uh, Find it wherever you get good podcasts from or the bigpicturewebsite.com. Check it out. And pass back catalogue editions where I've usually failed in these soundtrack um, (laughs) challenges. So I thought I would I'm sure our audience does really well. I'm sure... I'm sure they do. So here this week, I'm putting Mark and everybody else to the test with Simon and Garfunkel songs. And I'm asking you if you can name not only the song, but what's the movie that this song prominently appeared in. Okay, so here's number one. Here we go. Uh, it's very familiar. I'm... Oh, okay, okay, that guitar riff gives it away. That's Amer- yeah. that's America. Well, you know you know already from the guitar riff, this yeah, is the yeah, song America. I, you, I, you are exactly right. It's Simon and Garfunkel's America. But what's the movie that it famously showed up in? I'm going to say... I'm going to say, I think I know this because my wife is obsessed with this film. This is Almost Famous. Yes, it famously showed up in Almost Famous, that 2000 film. Uh, This was actually used in the film. Uh, The lead character, his name's William. When he was a young boy, his older sister, Anita, decided to leave home and become an air stewardess. And to explain to her mum her reasons why she's leaving home, she basically just said, Mum, this song explains everything. And puts the song on. Play this, Mum. Listen to this. It explains everything. everything. So, Mark, you are one for one. Well done, my friend. What's coming up next? And see if you can get this. I am 
just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. Now, I can name this song without too many troubles because it's just a reflection of my life. What's the song? Well, the song's called The Boxer. Yes. Um, You're good on the song titles of Simon Garfunkel. What's the movie? Uh, is it The Boxer? <laughs> no, it is not. This should it is be not that. I'm, I'm picking it more from Intolerable Cruelty, that little-known Coen Brothers film from 2003 <laughs> that George Clooney and Catherine Zeta-Jones were in. I picked it because it opens and closes the movie. You get the Simon and Garfunkel version, and then some guy called Colin Linden co- like covers it at the end. Okay, that was a l- slightly obscure. Okay, so let's, I've slipped to 50%. All right, let's try this one. Okay. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Naming the song No Trouble. Okay, this is Sounds of Silence. I think everybody can name that, yes. Yeah, and I'm pretty certain it was 2001 A Space Odyssey. No, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, gosh. Um, I do know that uh, it featured in at least one uh, series of The Voice. Does that help? <laughs> That's definitely not what I was going for. No, it was uh, used very, very well in the 2009 film Watchmen, which also had a great soundtrack, a little oh. bit like Forrest Gump and Almost Famous, that used music of, of the around the time that the movie's set in and used it very vividly to explain what's going on on screen. Yeah, actually, I remember this because this was a slow-motion shootout scene. No, no, it was a slow-motion funeral scene. Yes, exactly. Yes, Mark, you were so <laughs> close. It was the funeral of one of the major characters in the film. One more to come, Mark. I slipped below 50%. See if you can get. This. Ah. Another film, another song explains so much about my life. Uh, this is Mrs. Robinson, right? Yes. Yes, there you go. And it's too easy because. Who cannot associate this film with Dustin Hoffman and The Graduate? Uh, very well played, Mark. You seem to know your Simon and Garfunkel songs reasonably well. That's it. That's exactly right. Who does? Most people surely must know that this very, 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 very famous song by Simon and Garfunkel was recorded for the film The Graduate. That classic American drama coming of age story about uh, this character Dustin Hoffman was playing. It also seemed to be a coming of age story of America at the time as well. A poppy and boppy song that actually, strangely, is about a seductress and adulterer. Mm. Little a bit weird, a little bit creepy. That's Simon and Garfunkel at the movies. So, Hollywood is no stranger to coming-of-age films, and a new title will be added to its long, 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 long list this week with the release of The Only Living Boy in New York. Loaded with Hollywood stars Kate Beckinsale, Jeff Bridges, Pierce Brosnan, just to name a few. The Only Living Boy in New York is a story of a Gen Y man's struggle to find meaning in a world where everyone seems to have sold out long, long ago. But is the advice that's being passed on by fading Gen Xers time-honoured wisdom, or is it just a repetition of lines that haven't done boys in New York or elsewhere any real good? Excuse me, you don't know who I am. Yes, I do. You do? You're the boy who follows me. You're also Ethan's son. You think you're going to steal him away from my mother? Get any man you want in the city. Could I get you? What? She's not like anyone I've ever met. People do things all the time without realising. Yeah, what am I doing? trying to make love to me. I'm trying to make love to you. Who are you? What kind of a question is that? She's a beautiful woman. She's sleeping with my father. So Callum Turner stars as Thomas Webb, the sort of a son of a publishing father, Ethan Webb, Pierce Brosnan, and his socialite mother, Judith Cynthia Nixon. Uh, the film begins with a bit of a lament about how all of the things that were really important about New York have faded away to be replaced by Gap clothing stores and yogurt bars. Oh, I really quite like Gap clothes. Uh, yeah, yoga okay. bars aren't so bad either. No, they're but, not so bad either. But Thomas's mum and dad were once part of this sort of 
great sort of Greenwich Village art scene. Ethan was a writer, but he realised he didn't have enough talent, so he gave it away to become the more lucrative, less fulfilling publisher. Uh, and Thomas, his son, is adrift, kind of part of a privileged college scene, but not sure what he wants to do with his life, frustrated with his girlfriend, but mainly with himself. He stumbles onto his father having coffee with a woman who isn't his mother, and another brick seems to fall out of the foundations of his life. What does it all mean if, if mum and dad aren't even together? And then one day an old man called W.F. Gerald, who's played by Jeff Bridges, moves into the apartment building he's in. He's a kind of an unkept bed of a man who takes time to talk to Thomas and seems to have some real wisdom for the only living boy in New York. So the only, the only Living Boy in New York, famous song by Simon and Garfunkel. Is, is this an, an example of where a movie is using uh, an already well-known title to somehow ca- capture the theme of the film, yeah. what, what the film's about? Is yeah, it- it's true. Like you, you almost get everything you need from the title because um, like the Simon and Garfunkel song is, is really um, a, a, a song about breakup and a song about loneliness and a song about separation. Uh, and Thomas is lonely, he's disconnected in so many ways and is desperate to connect with his girlfriend who's going away and his parents even though he can't get through to his mum because she's teetering on the edge of a mental breakdown and he's angry with his dad because of the affair and all these things are passing away um, and he connects I mean he's Gen Y who really wants to connect and he he's a sponge for this wisdom of W.F. Gerald which is ultimately pretty amoral about the way the world works. Oh this character uh, Jeff Bridges Yeah he says yeah. stuff like stop grounding yourself in what you think is moral and go off and have an affair with your father's mistress. Um, I know. Right, I, right, right, okay. It's like the what? answers that are coming from the really? from the wise older generation are kind of no answers whatsoever. So, wh- right. So that that's his that that's his that's his answer for coming to terms with life. It's like making yeah. up your own morality. That, yeah. That's that's a th- real through line of this film. Yeah, this is the fruit basically of free love baby boomer generation and there's no truth generation X talking to generation Y who are very much adrift. Uh, this, You know, people always talk about Gen Y wanting community, right, and connecting. But they don't understand why they want community. It's because all of the great things that used to anchor people to life have been blown away by the two previous generations. You know, the previous mm. generations mm. are the ones who are making films now uh, and there's they're not big enough in themselves to say, hey, we got it wrong, sorry, you know, without invalidating their own lives. So they make up stories about boys and girls coming to peace with a meaningless universe and accepting this adrift nature as the new grounded. You know, I mean, you get stupid lines that come out in this film, like life is random, yours as much as anyone else's, you know, or Thomas saying, I haven't done much with my life. And Gerald's answer is, well, you've had sex with your father's mistress. I'd say that's something. You know, there's... Right. It's, it really is Gen X trying to just say, no, 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 you're cool, because we want to believe we're cool. So what did you make of this overall? Well, it's really messy, basically. Yeah. You know, and What about as a film? Uh, as so a, the film's messy? I, I found the film, weirdly, like with a huge amount of potential. Yeah, because like I can still be engaged by these kind of ideas if people, the characters are interested in the situations they get into, or even if I don't agree with what they're presenting up on screen, if I find there's something to hold onto in it that maintains my interest, then I might go along with it, even if it is messy look, and scrappy. I know but, what you're saying. Look, from a scriptwriter's point of view, there's a bunch of different types of films, and this is a life lesson film, yeah, okay? Yeah. So it's the sort of film that's going to try and deliver something at the end that you're going to go, yeah, 
I can hold yes. on to that. But the problem with life lesson films is that the audience really has to believe it at the end or otherwise it falls very flat. It yes, feels, yeah. feels Even contrived. if I disagree with you, if you've taken me there and I can it, see it, where you're coming from, then yeah, I might otherwise go. it's contrived. And so The Only Living Boy in New York then... Is ju- it's just wrapped up with a bow at the end. I don't want to give anything away, but it's so wrapped up that you just go, wow... I'm not sure you could take that philosophy and apply it anywhere but in this fictional context because, honestly, that was just clever. And it is very, very messy, Mm. you know, um, which Mm, is not... Which is not a problem. I mean, in a sense, one you know, that's one of the good things about the film, okay? Life is messy, and I don't think we should reject that. In fact, recognising that life is messy, that when you try and build your life on relationships and you find out they're actually cracked foundations, um, that is actually a good thing. Because if, if you went to another realm of Hollywood, which was all about how things are fantastic just because I'm in love, um, that's not much better either. But when we at least hold on to the idea that the only living boy in New York brings about that, in fact, that, that the world is a fractured place and we don't have the answer, then at least I think we're set up to try and find answers with God. But that's about as far as I can go. The wisdom in this film is just bunk. Hmm. Okay, sure. Well, if you would like a dose of longing for something missing. The only living boy in New York opened last Thursday, October 12, at cinemas around this dis- disconnected land. It stars Jeff Bridges, Kate Beckinsale, Pierce Brosnan, and Callum Turner, and it's rated M for coarse language and sexual references. Coming up on the show, Mark, a New York psychotherapist reveals what it is really like to live in New York City. And I gatecrash Mark's date night with his wife to find out if Kate Winslet's plane crash drama, The Mountain Between Us, is the romantic choice of 2017. And welcome back to the show. Before the break, we had Mark take a look at a new coming-of-age drama called The Only Living Boy in New York. It's not the first film about New York, and it's not the first about people trying to find meaning there and discovering there's less than they thought. Woody Allen has built his career on making films just like that over and over and over again. Now, back in the 1990s, yes, actually last century, if you can believe this, <laughs> our producer and Mark filmed a documentary in New York on what it felt like to struggle for success there. And in the process, they were introduced to a psychotherapist and a minister of religion whose job was to try and help people cope when life didn't measure up to their dreams. Well, he's here with us today on the line from Connecticut. Let me welcome to the show Dr. Hilary Berkovici. G'day, Hilary. G'day. Good to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, Hilary, if you had to measure the degree of stress associated with living and working in New York on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate that? I think the baseline would be around a 7. It's kind of the background radiation for pretty much everything that happens. Everything happens under stress, under tension, high speed, I would say a seven would be uh, baseline. Okay, I thought you might have pushed it higher than that. A seven, okay. No, I understand what he's saying. You're basically saying that even even getting a cup of coffee is just a Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's right. Getting up in the morning, you're at a seven. Yeah, can do. Well, what sort of people used to come and talk to you? What what industries are we talking about? Well, I'm in an area that uh, is heavily laden with folks in the financial services industry. And so these are folks... um, whose job security has steadily worsened since 08, uh, the financial crisis. And uh, these are folks who could walk into work one day uh, and make an enormous deal and have incredible success, and the next day walk in and see a cardboard box sitting on their desk. Oh, God. oh yeah. 
They know that, and so it, it makes it hard to live um, with any sense of security or constancy. What, what kind of other problems were, were they dealing with as well? Uh, a lot of them end up, because they have so much external stress at, in their job, they have a lot of internal stress inside that they bring home, and then that turns into relational stress. And so people struggle in their relationships, um, often having very little time for relationships. I just spoke with a colleague yesterday. Her husband is uh, spending the week in Manhattan, although they live outside Manhattan, because uh, after uh, setting up to do a deal, they needed people who could spend essentially 24-7 there for uh, six, seven days straight. So she's looking forward to seeing her husband again at some point. Gosh, is that not all that atypical, really? Is is that what it comes down to, the idea that people just have no time? I think it's uh, the the stress of of time on the one hand, and then just bringing home your stuff. So even when you do have time, uh, part of you is not really fully home. And uh, and that's just something you live with. So the stress shifts, let's say, from job to relationship um, based on time in part, but also just um, never really feeling you can relax and just uh, put your feet up because your job may disappear. We're talking with Hillary, who's a psychotherapist and a minister of religion um, who's done a lot of work in New York City. Um, Hillary, as observers of New York City, largely through movies and TV shows, a lot of us can think, man, that place looks cool and I would love to live there. But from what you're telling us, it's very high on the stress count. If there's so much stress, why do you think people remain in New York City? Well, I think there are uh, a lot of them. First of all, the opportunity financially and career advancement-wise, New York is the place to be. So uh, they just look at it as uh, part of the environment, something they have to to put up with. On the other hand, there are people who are adrenaline junkies, and they just love the dopamine hit that they get when they're in the city. And Mm -hmm. uh, I can still feel some of that when I come in on a train um, from having been outside the city and hit the sidewalk and smell that lovely uh, bus fume uh, (laughs) and kind of get my feet... um, uh, stepping in someone's ice cream cone that had just been left behind, and there's something inside me that says, "Yes, this is great." <laughs> well, but, do you? Uh, sorry, you were saying. I was just going to say, you know, uh, that's a part-time thing. When I lived in the city full-time, I can't say I had that much uh, excitement. But the people who do best in that environment are the people who thrive under high stress uh, and tension. Mm. And are you basically teaching people some foolproof method of dealing with stress, or does do do you have maybe another answer that comes from your minister of religion side? Well, there's a practical side, and there's certainly a spiritual side. The practical side is uh, when stress begins to cause overload and it begins to affect health and relationships, uh, then it's important to kind of look at the the canary in the coal mine, to look at an early warning sign that relationships can't bear up under that kind of stress. Uh, you, You can't take that kind of time and energy and pour it into your job and have nothing left for your family. So we talk about that. We talk about restructuring. We talk about sometimes moving out of the city and changing careers. But, uh, no, there, there's really, I wish there were, a foolproof way of dealing with stress. I think using it as a sign that perhaps we're not plugged into a, a deeper source of security, uh, especially the character and person uh, of God. Uh, when, we, when we look at stress as a sacred warning sign, uh, it can paradoxically be the thing that leads us into a deeper relationship with the people closest to us, to a higher tolerance for vulnerability, and uh, to a new hope that says, you know, it isn't really 
just in the hands of my boss, my career. There's another set of hands, and I need to remember that. Wow. When that happens, I think it's a blessing. Dr. Hilary Berkovici, thank you for being part of the show. Absolutely a pleasure. Mike's been married to Maya for 18 years. They've got three boys, a cat, and they work together on multimedia projects. Mark and Maya also enjoy date nights, which is why they wanted to share it with me. <laughs> Actually, it was more like a gate crash, their latest romantic evening, so I could ask them what they thought of the movie they watched. I'm all about the job, me. That's, You're a professional. I'm mate. all about the job. The Mountain Between Us is the movie, the new movie that Mark and Maya went on their date night too. It stars Kate Winslet and Idris Elba. They're strangers on a plane that crashes in a snowy, hilly wilderness. Will they survive? But more importantly, will Mark and Maya survive my intense questioning after the movie and over our cosy dessert? Alex, can you look at me? You really hurt your leg. Your phone's smashed. My phone has no signal and we're pretty high up on the mountain. If we stay here, we're safe. If we leave, search and rescue, they're less likely to find us. Look, I don't want to die up here because you're too scared to take a risk. Someone's looking for us. The pilot didn't file a flight plan. Nobody knows where we are. We're all we've got, me and you. Hey, guys, what are you doing here? Hey, how are you going? Good to see you. I'm really well. Did you see that movie as well, The Mountain Between Us? Yes. Mark, Maya, what did you think of the movie? This is so cosy and nice. What did you, what did you think? Well, actually, um, I thought it was quite interesting. We were talking about the uh, major themes of self-sacrifice and survival. Yeah, Maya was pointing out that we could do with a bit more self-sacrifice and survival in our marriage. I thought that was fairly pointed, actually. You mean Maya was comparing you to Idris Elba, the star of this movie? Quite favourably. Um, basically, uh, if you like a survival story, and I guess you like to see two couples that are supposed to be kind of opposites slowly drift together through the snow, then I guess... Two people coming together, not two couples. Like, oh, there was, so, like, there was yeah. only two people, Mark. We were watching the same movie, weren't we? As you were, as you were avoiding me in the cinema, we were watching the same movie. Yeah, yeah. Kate Winslet, Idris Elba. Idris Elba, yeah, the dog. Let's not forget the dog <laughs> played a dog. major role. The dog played the dog. The, the dog actually was probably the glue that brought them together early on in the relationship. Now, I appreciate you've already ordered for me and the coffee and the cake are on the way. That's fantastic. <laughs> so it looks like you are actually going to date. Would you recommend The Mountain Between Us as a date night movie? Hey, hey guys. What? How's it going? Oh. Did you just go see that movie? <laughs> Russ Matthews, you didn't see us in the cinema? Uh, well, actually, I saw these guys. I didn't see you, Ben. Jeez, what is with... I'm the guy you don't invite to a date night at all. These guys are on a date night, Russ. I was just asking them, would they recommend The Mountain Between Us as a date night movie? As if this evening couldn't get any better. Um, yeah, I think... I, I, no, I don't know. I, I think that, like, there'll be a lot of things to talk about afterwards as a couple. Like, you know, what is your preference? Would you have eaten a Labrador or not? I probably wouldn't. I <laughs> would have eaten some of the mountain cat, I think. <laughs> I think, yeah. Did it, did, did it put you off flying, maybe? <laughs> Actually, there was, a, there was a few things in there that we're looking at and just going, the film stretches the boundaries of reality a bit, would you say? Mm, I would say like, that. There's a few moments when you just go, oh, yeah, heck, I'll just hop into this uncharted sister driven by a guy who's obviously, like, the shady side of 60. Yes. Um, and who, not surprised when he had a stroke at all, honestly. With a storm coming on <laughs> yeah, the way. why not? With no flight plan. No, that's yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Mm. How do you think fans of Titanic are going to respond to seeing Kate Winslet in another story of human survival? I think they're going to be disappointed that she wasn't floating on anything. 
I think that there were no. She wasn't in period costume then, so. No, yeah, that that's a bit bit of loss. It's actually how much of her acting actually you lose when you don't have period costume. Would you say that Idris Elba was is like a major attraction? Definitely, I think he's quite believable as a surgeon, and I think the self sacrifice he shows for her life, you know, for the sake of her life, sake of her survival, is really quite moving. That was a major thing in the film. Just the whole idea of self sacrifice actually becomes the basis of their relationship all the way through, and so that was pretty pretty exciting to see something like that and I think we've got to hear that that love is actually you know making room for the other person and, and giving up of yourself I think I think that's great to hear in, a, in society today not getting yourself fulfilled I think it's pretty yeah. good well, okay but my question is, you're on a date night right yeah. did, did these people yeah. doesn't this look like a date that's why I'm here these guys always love inviting me along to a date Russ great maybe next time we have a date night together you guys could bring your wives it'd be less oh. Oh. Well, yeah, I get. Well, yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. But you were going to ask a question about date nights. Question: Do they have chemistry? Did you think Idris Elba and Kate Winslet? Did they have any chemistry on the screen? Yeah, I did. I thought they had chemistry. Yeah, I actually thought it was strained, actually, because in the end, no, well, mainly because this is were, getting a bit awkward. They were basically polar opposites, and if that's apparently, it was a very old trope, you know, opposites attract sort of thing, and that's okay as a story, but I don't think it really contributed. Well, actually, the main thing in the end of the film, what would you think the main thing you walk away with is just this idea that you can build a long-lasting, life-changing relationship on one powerful instance, you know, or one powerful experience. Did you believe that? I did, actually. I did believe that. I thought it was significant enough. Uh, and as we've talked about the themes of self-sacrifice, I thought they were significant enough throughout the whole film to be able to, to forge, yeah, a lifelong relationship. I, I did believe it, actually. I was convinced that they could have something. Russ, there is so much chemistry going on in the room yeah, right now. I think we should, like, uh, maybe, maybe, like, they head, can eat our cake. Maybe hit. Well, I don't know. Should we head off? Yeah, or? I think we, we should head off. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, buy me some flowers. Uh, that sounds great. How about a coffee? Okay. okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks again, Mark, and to Maya as well for inviting me along to oh. be part of your date night. All I can say is I'm glad you paid for the dessert. <laughs> <laughs> the Mountain Between Us does star Kate Winslet, Idris, Kate Winslet, Idris Elba, and heaps of snow and icy peaks. It opened at cinemas on Thursday, October 12th. And coming up, we turn our regular top five segment into the ultimate survival guide for going to the movies. Everything you need to know and quite a few things you probably don't. Up next. Hey, welcome back to the show. The big picture is part of an ever-expanding family of people across this nation who want to know how to see this world, pop culture, film, TV from a Christian perspective. And new radio stations are being added to the big picture as the weeks go by. So we thought... you know, Which is great. And it's got to be some way of not just saying, oh, hi, we're now on you know, on in Hobart or we're now on in Gladstone or something. We, we need to get to know you guys. We want to get up close and personal. So we decided... We're going to put it in a new segment in the show every couple of weeks, getting to know personalities of the different radio stations that the big picture is appearing at. So we've sent Sam Robinson on, what do we call it, Mark? A road trip. A big picture road <laughs> trip. Via cheap. Around the nation. <laughs> a, a big picture road trip on the phone around the nation, uh, getting to know personalities of different stations that the big picture is turning up on with this question. And the question is for our new segment, what's the movie that changed your life? <laughs> Yes, it's a real special chat for me today because I'm going back to the place where I started doing radio, uh, Wagga's Life FM, and joining me from Wagga Wagga is Hugh McCallum. How are you, Hugh? 
Look, I'm very well, Sam, and uh, great to hear your voice. And, of course, Awaga's proud of you up in Sydney. (laughs) Thanks so much, Hugh. Now, look, uh, we're we're talking about the film that's changed your life. Is there a film that means a lot to you that has (laughs) changed your life in some way? Yeah, look, I love movies. My wife and I love movies. Uh, The movie I've chosen may not have changed my life, but makes me think about my life every time I see it. Mm -hmm. It's Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Oh, this is a great (laughs) film. Quite repetitive. Yeah, uh, that's that's what's great about it, isn't it? Because everyone wants to do, if only I could do that day again, or I'm so pleased I didn't do that day again. So what is it about Groundhog Day with Bill Murray that really um, made you stop and look at your life and and reconsider it? Well, you know, uh, what I like is that uh, they portray Bill uh, Murray, uh, sorry, his character, uh, Phil, uh, who goes up? Uh, doesn't matter too much. He goes up to uh, to a place called where they where they're doing the groundhog thing, which is pretty interesting. That's a geographer's delight, but I won't talk about that today. <laughs> but he's a shallow, shallow, self-centered man, and uh, basically he lives his life over and over again. And uh, it's just the journey uh, from being a buffhead to being a decent bloke. And of course, while. Uh, it, it fails in its theology in the end. It's actually a good. It's a good movie for. Gee, if only I could do my life better, or if only I could actually learn to be the person I want to be, the, my best self. I suppose. I think we all, we every single one of us, feels that from time to time. Yeah, and of course Andy McDowell, who plays Rita, is delightful in her role, and uh, you know most people go, "Oh, she's a lovely person." And Bill, who's or Phil, who's such a shallow character, he's never going to end up with her. And of course, you know, it's one of those you can predict the ending. But along the way, uh, he he suddenly realizes that he can do anything he wants to do, and it has no consequences. But of course, it does have consequences. He either becomes a more solid person, or he becomes a a poorer person. And I guess I I like that. Um, so of course, as a Christian. Uh, I go, that transformation doesn't happen just from within, but from the Holy Spirit within. Hugh McCallum, you have brought us such a great insight into the film that's changed your life, Groundhog Day. (laughs) (sighs) Thanks so much for joining us all the way from Wagga Wagga and Wagga's Life FM to uh, The Big Picture. Uh, Great pleasure and a big hello to all of you, poor people that have to live in Sydney from beautiful Spring Riverina. Well, Mark, if Sam Robinson was actually here with us and he's not here with us, he'll be back again with us next week. But if he was here, he'd say something like, this is the high point of the show. And he'd be right. And and he'd be be right, (laughs) even though everything that came before it was great. And if you missed any of it, you should really podcast what we did here in episode 129. Find that at the place where you get all good podcasts. But the pinnacle of the show, in Sam's opinion and many other people's, including ourselves, is the top five. And this week, Mark, we have the top five survival tips for moviegoers According to you. That's true. Now, what I'm going to do is give you five never-miss essential facts that you have to keep in mind when you go to the movies to make it not just a night out, but an extravagant event you will remember forever. So let me begin with my fifth one. Five. We live in a 21st century. <laughs> Which means, basically, that you can now buy online. Okay, or be prepared to camp out. You can out. do what now? Yeah, buy your tickets online. Amazing. Okay? Now, this may sound like, a, you know, just... 
I shouldn't yeah. scoff. It is pretty cool. It might it might sound like nothing big, but I remember the day when we had to camp out. Like if you really you want, actually camped out. If you really wanted to see something, okay, you couldn't go online. You had to go down and wait until the cinema opened so you could buy your tickets that day. There were no numbered seats too, so you didn't just camp out for the tickets, but you actually st- stood at the door to get in. Four. Here's my fourth hint. Don't buy your food at the cinemas, okay? Now, everybody knows this, okay? All it, cinema operators that are tuning into the big picture have just stopped tuning in, but I <laughs> heartily commend what you just said, Mark. Don't true. buy your food at it's, the cinemas. It's where all the money is made, on their candy bar, okay? But here's the thing. Don't go overboard. First thing you do, yes. you. Every time my wife says, what time are we going to go to the pictures? I always mentally add half an hour so we can go to Woolworths or Coles or something like or that wherever nearby. you shop for treats. And then get your treats. And then, But then the smuggling act begins. I take a backpack. <laughs> and it's usually good. got lollies slash chips in that bag. Yeah, I I always I always forget the backpack even though I plan the time. Do you? Oh, so mate, I'm standing there. I'm well ahead of the game. Shopping bags full of stuff as we're walking. How can you up. sneak in with a shopping bag? Well, this is how you do it, right? Okay, you buy cereal. Okay, okay. <laughs> and then like hide the lollies no, no, underneath no, the no, cereal. You, the, the lollies can be there, but if somebody says, "What is that?" You go, "It's my groceries. I've just been to the shops." Okay, I wouldn't take cereal into a cinema, so I get cereal. I take some milk right there with several bags of chips and. and but you mentioned stuff. not going overboard. That's oh, like yeah, going overboard. Yeah. Actually, once we tried to take what basically amounted to four or five bags, um, <laughs> a heated meal and a bottle of wine. You know that was really that caught us out. Find the seat. Okay, I'm a bit of a seat Nazi. Okay, people who go to the pictures with me know this. A seat Nazi? I, yeah, well, the thing You're is. You're strict about seats. I'm very strict about seats. You're particular about where you wish to position yourself in if a cinema. If I could take a theodolite into a cinema <laughs> and work out the exact center of, and the best place for stereo waves to converge on my ears, I would sit but there. But how can you do that at a popular film? Say if you weren't going to Highlander 2, but you were going to something else that people actually want to see and there are a lot of people in the cinema, how do you do that? If, and particularly if you haven't booked your seat, how do you find this perfect seat? Well, the first thing you do basically is that you take some other people with you and you split up into teams. <laughs> okay. So you go in and, you, and, and well, I actually organised this with people before. I say to them, I'm going left, you go right. You go top left, you go top right, you do middle. And then what we do is we stand in various parts and whoever gets the best seats first we start making these signals to each other across the cinemas now we've got mobile phones we call each other okay but before we used to have these sort of arranged signals my seats are a five out of ten you should you know maybe are yours any better this one's broken wow that's, that we, sounds a bit risky though because what if other people come along and take over those seats while you're all like going from different points in the cinema to try to converge on those other seats which is why it, the subset to this rule is make sure you wear lots of layers of clothes I wear at least a jumper, uh, a jacket, and a hat. I never wear a hat, so that I can throw these things across key seats. Sorry, sorry, someone's sitting there. You, you can't sit there until we've all converged on the right place. Wow, on this movie survival guide, we've still got two more tips to go. Two. Now, come yes. prepared or unprepared, which is another form of preparation, by the way. <laughs> what are you talking okay. about? You see, you've got to know to some degree what it is you're going to see oh, yeah, to enjoy okay. it. Yes, okay? yes, so yes. come prepared. I remember when my dad, I think I've told this story in the big picture before, when my dad took um, me as a young boy and my brother, I was eight, my brother was 12, and we went and saw Convoy. You have okay? mentioned the yes. Convoy incident before. Now, dad yes. didn't quite realise that this was a rated M film, so when some scenes you know, were happening, dad was unprepared. He was caught out and so 
we had to start shoving lollies into our face. More jelly babies, do you want to, just so we would ignore what was going on on the big screen? I heard about some mums taking their young daughters, I think under 10 possibly, to Black Swan. You know, that film with Natalie Portman because they thought it was a ballet ballet movie. My goodness, were those girls (laughs) traumatised. Be prepared. Know what you're going to see. Be prepared or be unprepared as part of your preparation. Okay, because some films, like you, you were keen to see Blade Runner 2049. I know you went into your own personal media blackout. Yes. I used to go with a, a mate who was a producer of stage shows, uh, and um, when Harry Potter was uh, coming to the cinemas and we were watching films together, he would literally stick his fingers in his ears if a trailer came up <laughs> and run out going, la, 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 which made great theatre. Anyway, but, you know, come unprepared It also. That's another thing. One. Here's my ultimate thing, okay? Choose your companions carefully when you go to the cinema. This is your survival guide. And don't go to the cinemas with me. <laughs> yes, it's basically, I am the last You're the person. worst. Do not go to the cinemas with me. Choose your companions very carefully. My boys know, never speak Never ask questions during a film. Well, at least not of me, because I'm going to have instant dissatisfaction with what's going on. Um, you know, I think the problem is with our instant generation is that people want the answers right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm forever. You know, my beautiful wife sits next to me and goes, "Who's he? Is, is he bad?" <laughs> or, um, what did he say when I was what, saying that? What's he saying now? Why, why, is he, why, why is he doing that? Have I missed something? What planet are we on now? <laughs> like, I got that in Interstellar. <laughs> Interstellar. Good question. What planet are we on now? I don't know. Okay. In Inception, my wife was falling asleep in and out of the film, and she'd wake up. It's very say, fitting. And she'd say, what's happening? So this is not real? Is this real? Is this a dream or is this not real? Whose dream is this? Uh, is it a dream within a dream? And I said to her, look, just go back to sleep, darling girl. The whole thing is a dream. Let me ask you a question. You, you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... Uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? We're dreaming. You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. That is exactly what the world just needed right now, Mark, is a top five survival guide for how to get through the cinema alive. That was this show coming up next week, Mark. Get ready for the world to be destroyed again in Geostorm. And Reese Witherspoon is a 21st century single mum in Home Again. And the God of Thunder is back for his third marvellous outing in Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok? I definitely won't be. I'll just be Ben McKechn. <laughs> and I'll be Mark Adley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.